Uh, great to have you here. My name is Matt. If you're new here with us, uh, great to have you here today. Uh, I'm going to begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to continue on in our series uh, looking at and learning about the Holy Spirit. So please join me in prayer. Uh, Lord Jesus, we are thankful for this opportunity to gather. I'm thankful, God, for uh, any, any visitors who are with us, uh, any, anyone who perhaps this is uh, the first time uh, here gathering with the church. Uh, I pray, Lord, for them. I pray for all of us. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would move in us. Lord, you'd help us to understand you more, help to understand your, your spirit more. God, we, uh, we ask that you would help us to, to listen beyond the noise in our heads, to, uh, to move past the things that are preoccupying our thoughts, and actually to be able to be uh, still before you and to, to glean from your word and to be transformed by your spirit. So please, Lord, do this good work in us now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, we are in week four of our series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's one more after this. It's just a, a brief introduction, as we said at the beginning. Uh, after that, we're going to get to Easter. Uh, just do a little bit of a recap uh, in case you've forgotten or you haven't been here with us. We've covered who the Holy Spirit is. Very clearly, he is a person, not just an intangible force. He is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. We've covered what his central purpose is. His, his, his joy, his delight is to bring Jesus close to us, to actually mediate the presence of Jesus in our lives. And we've covered what he gives. Last week, Ezra took us through the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the gifts that are given to us for the good of the church, to, to bless and encourage each other and to accomplish the mission of God. And today we're going to focus on what exactly the Holy Spirit does in our lives, uh, we've, we've covered the fact that he dwells within us, this miraculous, amazing, tough to understand truth that the spirit of God is within us when we come to faith. But the next question we might have is, well, what, what is he doing the whole time? What, what work is he doing in us? And to begin with, there's going to be a bunch of verses today, but here we're going to begin with Philippians 1 verse 6, which says simply this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work uh, in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is talking about the work of God. He that is God. Paul is writing to Christians saying, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work, a good spiritual work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And the way that happens is the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That's going to be our focus this morning. That the Holy Spirit, here's the big idea, the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. And if you're not quite clear on what that means, this is the perfect Sunday for you. We're going to talk a lot about sanctification, what it is, how it happens, and why we make it difficult for it to happen in our lives. That'll be near the end. Okay, so we're just going to ask some questions. Here's the first question. What is sanctification? Well, to be sanctified, uh, in essence, means to change for the better. Uh, it, it never made sense for a human being to come to faith in Jesus like, to, to be able to say, you know, I believe Jesus died and rose again. Uh, I, I believe in him. I want to I be closer to him. I want to live like him. It, it doesn't make sense to, to be a person of faith, but then keep living the way that we lived before. Those two things are going in opposite direction. The Bible says that we are new creations. And this newness that he has begun in us is designed, is intended to change every part of us. But if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that this doesn't happen all at once. It doesn't happen easily. It doesn't happen smoothly. 
I can remember when I came to faith uh, in my teens, and so I, I heard the gospel, I heard about Jesus, I believed that he died and rose again, I called myself a Christian, I, I did actually come to faith. I started going to church, was part of a youth group. But the truth of the matter uh, was that there's a huge parts of my mind and my heart that didn't change at all right away. That I, I was resistant, or I was hard, or just it takes time for this, this newness to, to grow. And so for years, there, were, there was patterns of sin in my life. There were lies that I continued to believe about myself. There were sinful actions I continued to do. And it, it just, I just either didn't see it for what it was, or I didn't deal with it. But slowly but surely, the seed that God had planted in me began to bear fruit. And, and it looked like change. I, I began to turn away from the ways of the world and began to follow the ways of God. This is sanctification, this shift, this, this change in us. And it happens for every believer. And in the New Testament, we have a lot of spots where it's, it's talking about this. Because most of the letters is, is some apostle telling a church, hey, you have to change in this way, you have to grow in this way. Because this is the good work that God wants to do. So we're going to look at Galatians 5 just to see it described, to see this shift. If you want to look there in your Bible, you can. Uh, we're going to start in verse 19, but it'll also be up on the screen. Here Paul is, is contrasting the works of the flesh. He's saying that's the way we used to live at, with the work of the Spirit, which is the new way that we should be going, the change in us. So uh, first, the works of the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, and he gives a big list of sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He's like, there's a bunch more, but I can't get to all of them. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we need to be clear here. He's, he's not saying, if you do any of these things, even once, that you're going to be cut off from heaven. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that if you are at peace with the works of the flesh in your life, then you should be concerned. If there's no change in you, if, if all of these things, right, these things that, that mark us in our sin, jealousy, fits of anger, division, envy, whatever it is, if those things are present and nothing's changed about them, he's saying you, you, should, you should be concerned. It could very well be that the Spirit of God is not actually in you and not actually active. True faith, true spiritual life will always bring about a change. And the change will be that you will increase in godliness, in holiness, in spiritual maturity. Because the seed that the Spirit planted within you then is, is going to bear fruit, is supposed to bear fruit. And we see this in the next section, verses 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So that's, that's the shift that we should expect to see in the lives of those who follow Jesus, that there's a change and we turn away from the sins that marked our lives before and increasingly, not perfectly, we are going to follow in the ways of God and allow the Spirit to bear fruit in our lives. 
We need to be clear also about a couple things that we see here in this verse. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the agent of change. He is the one who's doing this good work in our lives. He's the one who's affecting this change. But the end goal of the Spirit is not that we would be more like him. It's that we would be more like Jesus. That, that list, the fruit of the Spirit, all of those qualities, they are like a character profile of Jesus. As we know him in the scripture, as people interacted with him, they would, they would use these words to describe him. He's faithful, he's good, he's gentle, he's self-controlled, he's peaceful, he's patient, he's kind. These are the things, if, if someone walking at the time of, of the Bible would just say, what's, what's that new teacher like? They would say all of these things because that's, that's what he is like. Who better? for God to, to change us into then to be more and more like Jesus. And that's what we see uh, in this verse, 2 Corinthians. We, we've looked at this verse before, uh, verse 18. Let's look again. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So sanctification is the process of change, that God is doing in us through the power of the Spirit so that we would be more and more godly, more and more mature, more and more like Jesus. That, that is what it is. The next question is, well, how, how does that happen exactly? Like how specifically does the Spirit do this work in us? And so the answer to that question is, there's uh, lots of actually answers the way that he does this, but we're gonna focus on two of them. Uh, two main ways that the Spirit works. The first is he works through external pressure. So look at James 1. Uh, these verses are pretty well known. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So this is describing the process by which God grows us. It's telling us the trials in our lives are part of the sanctification process. You, you probably can see this. If you're a Christian here this morning and you've been a Christian for any length of time, you can probably look back and see the times when you grew in some good way. Probably they are connected with some difficult time in your life. I mean, it's, it's not very often that we grow a lot in the really peaceful times. Like on vacation, we don't tend to grow in our spiritual maturity and our character Unless we have young children and then we're really tested those times and we grow even by the side of a pool. So, but you, you know that it's when things are hard that you, grow, you draw near to Jesus. That's, people tell me this all the time. Look, it's so hard. Would you pray for me? Man, but, but I've never felt so close to God. That's what people often say. I've never prayed so much. I've never been in the word so much than, than this time. I hate it. It's so hard, but but I see what God is doing. That's, that is how God works. But here's the thing we need to be aware of. It's not a guarantee that the trials in our lives will result in greater godliness. Just because there's external pressure doesn't mean that we are going to grow. There are lots of people and lots of times in our lives where we go through intense trials, but we don't, we don't get any closer to perfection. In fact, there are many people who get worse during this time. They get more bitter, more doubtful, more hard-hearted. 
There, there's someone we're sort of connected with who, who is like this. He's an older man in his late 60s, and, and he's, had a, he's had a difficult life. Difficult childhood, difficult time through his teen years, dif- difficulties to this day, a lot of health problems, a lot of financial problems, ch- real challenges. But the way that he's chosen to react to all of this has hardened his heart. He's further away from God. He's further away from the, the people in his life because he's become resentful towards, towards the people, towards God. He's hardened his heart to the work that God would want to do in his life. Instead of being like a soft piece of marble under the chisel of God, he's, he's like a block of granite, just unyielding and cold. And this kind of thing happens all the time to us as well because... Because external pressures are not enough. For us to be sanctified, we need the Spirit of God to move in us. So that as we are being pushed from the outside, the Spirit humbles us, softens us, enables us to actually receive the things that God wants to teach us. See, without Him, we are going to be hard to all the good things that God wants to do in our lives is why it said, go back to Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, if we're, if we're alive, if we're people of faith, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let, let's soften our hearts. This is, this is what we can do and what we should be praying for is that as there are difficult times in our lives, rather than just trying to get through it, rather than just trying to endure it, rather than just praying for it to stop, which is fair to do, It's good to pray for healing. It's good to pray for God's help. But also there needs to be a level where as mature people of God, we are saying, Lord, I know that even in this you're working. In fact, Lord, probably you're working here more than any other way. So would you help me to be soft to what you're doing? Holy Spirit, please, please help me not to to just get harder and more resentful. I, I I want this time to actually be fruitful in my life. He does use external pressures. It's important for us to to be aware of it and to work with the Spirit in this way, to keep in step with Him. But it's not just from the outside in that the Spirit works. He also can work through internal conviction. See, sometimes, lots of times, even the Spirit doesn't need external pressures. He just convicts us from within. Look at how Jesus describes the Spirit. This is before Jesus left. He's telling his disciples, I'm going to send the helper, the Spirit. He says this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So if you're a Christian, probably probably you can think back to a time when there was sin in your life and no one knew about it. And yet, for some unexplainable reason, you told someone about that sin. Like you brought it to light. You confessed it. it no, no one found out. It was totally secret. No one was going to find out. But, but there was something in you that just meant, I, I got to tell someone. I got to confess this. That is the work of the Spirit. That is the con- convicting, gracious, important work of the Spirit. And this has happened to me many times. And it feels horrible, doesn't it? Like when you feel that, that churning in your gut. There's been many times when I've been, I've been reading the Bible, I've been in prayer, listening to a sermon, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I didn't, 
man, I, I see that now. I didn't, I didn't really see that sin or I didn't want to see that sin. And it's just churning within me. And, and I know I'm not gonna get any peace until I confess it. It's so humbling. It's, it's to be exposed in that way. To, it's, it feels horrible in the moment, but, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It draws us near to the Lord. This is the sanctifying work of the Spirit. He works in us to expose our sin so that we would, we would be detached from the corruption, the, the patterns of wickedness, evil thoughts, and so that we would be able to put to rest the guilt and the shame that is tethering us to our old way of living so that we can actually turn and grow in the purity and holiness that God has for us. This is what Jesus wants to do in our lives. We see this really clearly in Ephesians 5. Here Paul's talking about, about Christ and the church, Jesus and us. And he says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the cross, right? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. So this is what Jesus wants to do in us through the spirit you might ask, I, I thought our sin was already dealt with, though, like through the cross. I, th I thought one of the great things about being a Christian is that you don't have to worry about that anymore, right? All the sin has been paid for. It's all been dealt with. And of course, the answer to that is yes, absolutely. That is the good thing about being a Christian. That is the great thing about what Jesus has done. He died in our place to remove our sin so that in the eyes of God, we are holy and pure. So hear me, the work of sanctification, it doesn't earn our salvation. It's proof of our salvation. It's important we get that order correct. Jesus has done all the work, but now in, in the sanctification, it's being applied to us. That's why you have that phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It, it, it doesn't mean you have to add, you have to do some work. It means that it's being revealed in you. You're experiencing all that, that Jesus has already done. So a pattern of conviction and confession gives evidence of the new spiritual life in us. That's the role of the Spirit, that we can actually enjoy freedom from sin, all that, all that Jesus has done. It's, it's powerful, it's life-changing, it's beautiful. But the truth is, if we're honest, we don't actually embrace the sanctification process very well or very consistently. There are lots of times in our lives, even as believers, when we resist sanctification. We, we, we hinder the work that God wants to do in our lives. So why is that? Why is that? How is it that, that we actually kind of resist what God is doing? This is, the, this is the third question. Why do we resist sanctification? What is it that's going on in our lives that brings us to a place of, of rather than saying, yes, Lord, I want it, let's do that. Do that good work in me. Expose everything. Instead, we're like, yeah, I, I don't want it to happen. Why is that? Two reasons. One of it is that it could be that we have a seared conscience. It could be that we have a seared conscience and, th and that's why we're resisting. So here's, here's what I mean by that. The feeling of conviction, as I mentioned, does not feel great in the short term, right? Can I get an amen? No, no one? Okay. <laughs> it doesn't feel great. 
It doesn't feel great. Why? Because uh, it's, it makes us feel bad. We're, we're looking at our sin more clearly. It makes us look bad when we have to tell others that we're not as great as we thought and that we maybe hurt them or lied to them. We have to, we have to bring it up. It's often very messy when we're bringing sin, maybe past sin to light, and we might end up hurting people again and having to deal with everything. For all of those reasons, a lot of the time, we just don't do it. We, we feel the conviction, but when we feel that, we take it and we just stuff it down deep. You know what I'm talking about? We find the, the deepest, darkest places of our heart and our mind, and we stuff it down deep, and we close the door, we lock it, and we just ignore all of that feeling. And the way that we ignore it is that we just, we find ways to distract ourselves, right? We eat things, we drink things, we watch things, we buy things. There's a lot of things that we can do to turn up the volume in our life so that we don't, we don't hear the voice of God. So even though, even though there's, there's a quiet, convicting voice in our life or maybe a prompting voice from the Spirit telling us that we should step out in faith into an area that's uncomfortable, into an area that's costly, we just, we just are blind and deaf to that voice, and the reason we do that is because for the moment, we feel at peace. In fact, we can live like that for a long time. We can get very good at ignoring the voice of the Spirit. We, we can even go about the, the Christian life. We can come here on Sunday. We can be part of community group. People ask us anything I can pray for you about. And we say, ah, we mention a few superficial things that are going on, and we completely ignore this, this big thing that's behind this locked door. We can do it for a long time. We can feel very rested for a time. And Paul talks about this. He talks about this as, as, as if our conscience has been seared, is how he describes it. Look at this. He, here he's talking about, um, he's writing to Timothy. This is in 1 Timothy. And he's writing about false teachers. He's warning Timothy about these false teachers. But look at how he describes these false teachers. He says, uh, this is just a part of verse two. He says, they are liars whose consciences are seared. So what he means by that is that they're not just liars. They are liars who've hardened their hearts and their minds to the truth of God for so long that now they actually believe their lies are the truth. See, they've lost all moral and spiritual sensitivity because that's what happens when you sear flesh, right? When you, when you sear, burn flesh, when you get a scar tissue that develops, the, the nerve endings are damaged. I'm not sure if you can see. I've got a scar here and down my shoulder from hot coffee when I was very young. And, and that scar tissue has grown. It's all healed up. But still, the sensitivity is, is not what it should be. If you have any amount of scar tissue, you know that it, it's not the way that the rest of your skin should feel. That, that is what happens when you sear flesh. And that is what happens when you resist the spirit. Except what happens is you become dull to, to what the spirit is saying. You become insensitive to the spirit of God. Your conscience is dulled. I've talked to people who say to me, you know what, Matt? I, I don't really feel very sinful. Sometimes there's just been non-believers that have talked to me and said, you know what? I, I, I know you Christians talk about sin. I, I don't feel sinful as if that proved that sin was sort of a figment of our imagination. But what it actually proves is that it's possible to become completely insensitive to the moral wrongness of sin. I mean, huge segments of, of the world's population just go about their lives, feel no conviction of the spirit. They think everything's fine. It's, it's not that everything is fine. It's just they, they, they can't hear what God is saying. Here's how Paul describes this. 
He describes this in Ephesians 4, and he says it's basically a mark of those who have no relationship with God at all. Uh, So look at what he says here. This is 417 in Ephesians. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So he's saying to Christians, don't walk as those who are godless. That's what he's saying. How, How do they walk? In the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He's saying they've given themselves over to sin so much that they don't even feel it as sin anymore. There's callous. It's a good word. You know, when you're a kid and you run all summer long and bare feet, and by the end, there's just this callous, right? You could put like a, a lighter to your foot. You don't even feel it because all the sensitivity is gone. That's, that's what happens in our hearts when we turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to the Spirit of God and we engage in sin. We can't hear what God is saying. And that's a very scary place to be. There's nothing scarier than not being able to hear God's voice. There's nothing more terrifying than being able to read through the Bible and just see no real application for your life. Like it's just kind of words on a page. There's nothing worse than thinking that all is well with your soul when in fact there is sin festering within you like a cancerous tumor. See, what we need is not less moral sensitivity, but more. We need to have open ears, open heart, open mind to all that God is saying. We need a softer heart, not a harder one. The great news, let me just tell you, the great news about this is that for those who are alive in the spirit, the spirit will always draw us back. This is the graciousness of God. That I mean, we were dead in our sin and he made us alive. So for those of us who are who are truly in the spirit, he, he will bring his convicting power. There's been times in my life, I can remember times specifically, I was, I was resisting what the spirit was wanting to say, trying to convict me over sin, and there was such a turmoil within me that I broke out in hives. I remember just being like, what is going on? I was so, I was so blind. I didn't want to see what God was trying to say to me until finally I, I just knew I needed to confess. I needed to have peace. This is what the spirit wants to do in us to lead us to genuine repentance. So the application for us is so clear. Have we been turning a deaf ear to this voice of the Spirit? Like, is there a part of your mind, a part of your heart that's locked up tight, been that way for years? Have you been searing your conscience, in a sense, by by just ignoring what he has to say? In the short term, everything feels fine. But in the long term, we'll be farther and farther away from God. But it's flipped when we keep in step with the Spirit. When we keep in step with the Spirit, it's hard in the short term. It doesn't feel good. It feels painful even. But, but like it says in Hebrews, that the discipline of God is painful in the moment, but in time, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's blessing and peace and mercy and joy that comes to us through this. We can't sear our conscience. We can't turn away over and over and over again. We need to turn back to the Lord. Otherwise, we were resisting the sanctifying work of God. But there's another problem, another main problem, another big issue for us in terms of how we would resist what God wants to do. And, and that's, that's that very often we are not 
ready to fight. We aren't ready to fight. Because the truth of the matter is that sanctification is filled with conflict. Look at these verses. Here's Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, just to be clear, it's not saying that we're like Luke Skywalker and there's the dark and the light side tugging at us and we're not sure who's going to win. Who could, who could it be? It's, it's not that. We Listen, we have been purchased by Jesus. He owns us. He purchased us by the cost of his own blood. But the devil and his demons, they will do everything they can to try to tempt us back into sin in the hopes that our faith is not actually genuine, which means there's going to be a battle. There's going to be a fight. There's going to be a fight within us with our own sin and there's going to be a fight defending ourselves against the attacks of the enemy. And the problem with us is that we are not really ready to fight. We don't have that expectation, that mindset when we wake up each morning. Maybe our whole idea of what Christianity is is look, Jesus is our savior. I mean, he won the battle on the cross and so we should just be enjoying the spoils of victory, right? He did it all. Isn't that, isn't that it? Well, what's this talk about fight? Where's the victory party? There will be a victory party. It will be in heaven, okay? There's a feast laid out for us. It's going to be fantastic. Right now, right now we are called to fight. And I don't know that many of us are ready. I have not actually been in a fight, just to be clear. Like with my hands, like with a weapon, I've never... Never done that. And to be honest, I'm not sure that I would be great at it. Uh, not, of course, because I lack physical strength, obviously, but uh, because, because I don't think I have the, the mindset, right? The killer's kind of fighting mindset. I, I don't think I have that. That has to, to, to be developed. Uh, a friend of mine did uh, RCMP training uh, in Regina. Right? They go there for six months. They train them to be police officers. And he said part of that training involved hand-to-hand combat. And they taught them all sorts of skills. And at the end of the, the training, after weeks and weeks of training, he said the instructor brought them into a room with a mat and there's class, all his classmates uh, around him. And the instructor said, okay, today you are gonna fight each other. And he said, here's the thing, uh, you have to go 100%. You, you can't hold back. If you hold back because there's like your friends that you've met here, I'm gonna step in the ring and you don't wanna fight me. You, you have to go all out. Why, why would he make him do that? To try to hurt each other? Try to fight each other? Well, obviously, because he knows that at some point in the future, they're going to be on the street in an actual fight, and the person they're fighting is not going to hold back. And they need to be ready. They need to have the mindset, the experience, the thinking of how do I actually deal with this kind of opposition, this immediate cutthroat opposition, and to be able to respond in a way that is effective. It's a fight. That's what we need to be thinking about when it comes to sanctification. There is a battle that needs to be fought and we need to be intentional about it. It's not a battle against the, careful, it's not a battle against the people in our lives. That's what we often think, right? There's all these people that are making me angry, making me frustrated, making me, it's not them, it's, it's in us. It's a battle against our own desires. Look here at 1 Timothy. This is, this is Paul describing this dynamic of this, of this war within us, these desires that are just ruining our faith and we have to fight against them. He says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, 
into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So he's focusing on greed and money here. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, O woman of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. See, here's what we need to understand. This fight, the end result is already known. This is the, this is the tough thing. We, we know how this is going to end. The end result is certain. What God began in us, he's going to bring to completion. But the road to the end is not what we think it is. We think it's like a nice, gentle, uphill climb towards heaven, right? Like a gondola or something. It's just straight up. It's not what it is. It's like one of those bar graphs that, you know, plot the, the Canadian dollar. And it's like up and it's down. It's, that's our lives. There's, there's some successes. There's victories. But there's huge disappointments. There's surprising disappointments. There's betrayals. There's, there's frustrating things. Again, not with the people out there, but with us in here. I mean, how many times have we promised ourselves and promised God that we would turn from certain areas of sin? And then we fall back into it again and again. And we're so frustrated and embarrassed and exhausted and, and we just feel so defeated how many times do we feel like we've made it to some level of maturity only to be blindsided by pride and have everything fall apart for us to react in ways that we never thought we would? Will Smith knows what that's like this week, yes? <laughs> but look, he's no different than us. It's just that he does, lives his life on camera so everyone sees it. The people in our lives, they see us do the very same things. It's in us. It's, that's where the battle is. There's a real fight. And listen, we can't shrink back. We can't be soft. We can't be unprepared. There is an enemy out there, Satan and his demons, trying to tempt us, and there is our sin within. We need to war against these things. And thankfully, God has given us a battle plan and a hope and a strength for us. And we find it a bunch of different places, but this is a very concise version of it. Here's Romans 8.13. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See that language. We have to put to death the deeds of the body, meaning the, the, the flesh, the sin, the way we used to live. We have to put those things to death. It means starve it, reject it, kill it, whatever it takes to get rid of those things that keep leading us back into sin. That's what we need to do. Jesus is very, he uses very strong language. Remember, he says, look, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's, he's exaggerating to make a point, but let's not miss the point. The point is that we are in a battle for our soul. Thankfully, it's not just up to us. Thankfully, it says we do this by the Spirit. But notice, we are still doing something. We aren't just sitting back. We aren't just watching TV and hoping that we grow somehow from, from the Spirit is just going to work in us. We're, we need to be active. Yes, it is the Spirit who sanctifies us. It is Him who is going to do this good work. Look back to Philippians 1.6. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. How? By the Spirit's power. That was the big idea. It's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us. 
He is the one with the power. He is the one that is going to do the things that we can't do, but, but we are to keep in step with the Spirit. And so what we should be thinking to ourselves each day is, is yes, Lord, how are you working? What external pressures, what internal convictions are you, are you orchestrating to grow me, to change me in these ways? But also, Lord, what is it that I need to get rid of in my life? Like, honestly, if, if you really wanted to wage war against your sin, the, the lingering, festering sin, I think you know what you would do. There are some steps you would take. There are some accounts you would delete. There are some things you would stop doing. There's some people you might stop hanging out with. There's, there's things that you would do. The challenge is in the doing of it. And the more that we fill our minds with the word of God, and the more that we, we pray and yield to the spirit of God, the better able we will be to go with the spirit, to grow in all these ways. It will be difficult. There will be real fights. But the blessing is that we will, we will grow into the likeness of Christ. We will have a genuine abiding peace in us. And that we will, we will come to know the Lord more and more each day. So that is my prayer for us. That is my encouragement to you. Don't, don't ignore the voice of the Spirit. There may be things right now that he is saying. Take the time. Make the space to spend time in prayer and, and, then, and then talk to someone about it. The worst thing we can do is to try to grow in isolation. We need others. We need at least someone else in our lives to keep us accountable so that we might grow so they can pray for us. So let me pray for, for all of us as we close. Lord Jesus, we are thankful, so thankful for your work on the cross. So thankful, Jesus, that you have gained victory over sin and so thankful that your plan for our lives is to help us to grow in that victory. And, and Lord, we confess that, that we resist the work that you want to do in us a lot. I know I have a lot. And it's never led to better things in my life. And so, Lord, I, I pray for us here. I pray for everyone here that you would, you would help us. And whatever stage we are in our, in our faith journey. I pray for those who haven't yet come to faith, that these would be things that, that settle well on their heart, that Holy Spirit, you would genuinely convict them to see sin for what it is, to see that it only leads to death and that, Jesus, you bring life. But I pray for those of us who believe these things and want to grow, would you help us actually to, to fight the fight of faith and to soften our hearts and to open our ears? and to grow in every good way so that we might truly glorify you and so we might experience your goodness in a powerful way. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.